Good morning, SCBC Walnut family and friends. Thank you for gathering with us on this online platform. The month of August continues to be exciting and exceptional, especially as we prepare for reopening. Let me go ahead and give a quick update on how we are doing so far. Each week for this month, we are approaching it with a two-pronged approach. One, we are practicing for an outdoor worship service, which took place this morning for the first time. This is helpful for us because we can use our facilities outside where we could gather more people, but also it is a period of trial and a period of practice because we need to adjust all of our equipment, all of our training, and all of our people towards making it work. So please continue to pray for the reopening task force and each of the congregational teams that are preparing their congregations for corporate worship. Meanwhile, we're going to continue to broadcast with our pre-recorded worship services on Facebook and on YouTube, which you are watching right now. We are doing this so that all of you who are at home, as you continue to gather with us as you've been for the last few months, you'll be able to track our sermon series in Ezra, but you'll also continue to stay tuned in a way that is consistent and be able to plan your family schedules and be able to plan your own Sunday mornings accordingly. So please pray for us and I'll go ahead and do so during pastoral prayer. Along the way, August is also zero month for us in student ministry and children's ministry. And so a couple of announcements I want to highlight to you from the digital bulletin are one, Awana is taking registration right now. We will begin online to start this year and it begins on September 11th. And so if you go to the bulletin, you can register and it'll be a wonderful opportunity to continue this journey of Bible memorization as a family together with your children. Meanwhile, this Friday, for Unicoi and Gap, there's a parent's orientation to kick off the 2020-2021 school year. This is vital for you to be able to participate as parents because you are the primary disciple makers in your home for your kids. And so if you come this Friday, it'll be on Zoom. You'll have the opportunity to meet the staff really quickly and also to be able to hear what Unicoi and Gap is gonna be about this year. To be able to ask the questions that are on your hearts and the concerns that you want to raise, and you will also be able to gather with other parents in your grade. This is something that we're excited about because we want to be able to bless and encourage you guys as parents as you engage with your children. We also want you guys as youth to know that your parents got your back even as you're starting this new year. We're a church family and this is what a family does. So please be there if you're a parent and for all of you who are in Unicorn Gap, continue to be faithful. Start the year strong. Join in. Talk in your small groups and listen well in the sermon time. This is an opportunity for us to make this school year more than just about your online classes or your online changes. But it is a year in which you commit fully to God in your disciplines, in your practices, and with your heart. So be there, parents, and continue to be there, students. Finally, on the discipleship pathway, we are wanting to follow Jesus by committing to community and by investing in ministry. And so it is with great delight that I report that this past week we had another full house with the Red Cross blood donation at our campus. Looking ahead, we're going to host another one on September 10th. More information to come, but if you're thinking of giving blood and you haven't, or you're thinking about volunteering, please go ahead and email assimilation at fcbcwalnut.org. Meanwhile, if you want to join our group, I want to let you guys know that we're going to be hosting an open enrollment for all groups, community groups which are open to everyone, and small groups 
which are meant to go deep in relationship and accountability for the entire congregation. More details to come on that as well, but if you have any questions or interests, go ahead and email assimilation. Finally, Pastor Gary and Cammie are with us this weekend for the final time. They're going to be going to Panama to serve as missionaries in pastoral ministry there. And so Pastor Albert will lead a prayer of blessing for them after pastoral prayer. We love them. We're grateful for them. And I admire how they're continuing to follow Jesus to a fresh new area, people, culture, language, because they want to be obedient and because they want to be vibrant disciple makers. So let's join our hearts together briefly as Pastor Albert prays for them. Meanwhile, let me go ahead and pray for all of us as we prepare for the hearing of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for all that's going on this month. I thank you, Lord, that what might just be a matter of days and weeks on a schedule for us, a series of tasks and projects or decisions to be made, Lord, that you are sovereign over all of this, that you're in complete control. And as you're gathering FCBC on the back on campus in your perfect timing to be able to worship you first outdoors and then as you lead and provide, we pray that you continue to be with us through the course of this month as we continue to have a soft opening for the outdoor worship that's taking place we pray lord that you would help us to communicate well to plan effectively to debrief in a way that is helpful and also make wise decisions every step of the way while communicating them well we also want to pray for all of us that are worshiping at home god that you would prepare our homes and our hearts to regather with a people that you would give us the opportunity to do this as part of a group and even letting us now think about how we can serve as part of a team. We pray for everyone that is active in both groups and teams right now that you would help us to dig in and invest and to make it a priority for us so that as we regather as your people that we will be doing so as part of your church. Heavenly Father, we also want to pray that you be with us as we continue to look forward to this month. As the pandemic is not yet letting up, we know Lord, that the cry to worship you and the cry to see one another and to walk with each other, that comes from the heart. So God, we pray, Lord, whether it's in the area of school where all the students are starting virtually, whether it's in our connections with our friends in fellowship and in groups and in our lives, whether it's in our workplaces where many of us are still working virtually or those of us are having to go to the front lines, we ask God that you would Hold us in your steady hand and remind us of your endless love for us through your son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit to continue to sustain and help us through this season of uncertainty. And we ask then, God, that we would go forward in boldness to love you and to love people because you have loved us with your sacrificial love. We thank you, Lord, and we pray, Father, that you would allow the gospel to continue to drive us and to anchor us in this life. Remind us of who we are as sons and daughters and remind us of the hope that lasts eternally because you have purchased us with the blood of your son and you have reconciled us into your household. Thank you for being our heavenly father that we could turn to anytime, any place, anywhere. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, church. 
Today is the last day of service for our Mandarin minister, Gary, and his wife, Cammie. And after they are done with the ministry here, they are preparing themselves to go to Panama to be a missionary, planting a church, ministering to a church, and through that church, to minister to other people in that area. Uh, we are thankful for their faithful ministry for the past three years, and we are inspired by their willingness to respond to God's calling to go out of their comfort zone to Panama to serve God. And as our good church tradition, we like to bless them with a prayer. So may I invite all of you who are watching from online worship to stand with me, stretch out your hand to bless them, and I will lead you in a, a prayer of blessing. Let's pray for them. Oh Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for Gary and Cami, for how they serve you faithfully in our church for three years, and how they respond to God's calling to go out of their comfort zone, to go to Panama, to be a missionary, to be a pastor, and using that platform to reach out to immigrants, to the Chinese community, and to others in Panama. Father, we are uh, blessing them with God's presence, God's empowerment, and using them to bless the church, to inspire the church, to grow the church, to be a vibrant church. And together with the brothers and sisters in that church, they will reach out to many, many Chinese in Panama. Father, we pray for your protection, and we pray for your uh, presence as they go in your name. And we also remember Jody, who will work and live in LA area. We pray that you will also watch over her as well. And we look forward to hear from them, and we look forward to the continual relationship that we will continue to be the mother church, to remember them, to pray for them, to support them in their mission endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to clap together to encourage them as they go out. Thank you. Good morning, church. As we come together again this morning for worship online, I just want to welcome you to this uh, worship service and open our hearts and prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Today, the focus is on prayer. You know, some people said that prayer is a thermometer of what you cared about. What you cared about, you pray. And it is often said that the measure of a church is not the attendance of the worship. The measure of a church is the attendance of prayer meeting. And as important as prayer is, but we all struggle with prayer. So let's learn from Ezra today how to pray to God. Now today's message, I want to warn you, is a heavy message. It is a message that deals with specific sins. It is a message that lays bare the soul of Ezra as he laments the sins of the returnees. Now let me share with you, first of all, grieved by the sins of the people of God. Ezra was grieved deeply by the sins of the people of God in verses 1 to 5. But first of all, let's look at their sins. What are the sins that Ezra was grieving for them? Verses 1 and 2. It says, After these things have been done, the officials approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this Faithlessness, 
the hand of the officials and chief men have been foremost. After Ezra settled down in Jerusalem for four and a half months, he was presented with the spiritual condition of the returnees that really shocked him. In a sense, he has a very short honeymoon. It appears that those who returned 60 years ago under Jeroboam and Joshua, they have compromised their faith by engaging in mixed marriages with the Canaanites, which the Lord has specifically prohibited for the fear that they might fall into idolatry and take up the, the religious practices of the local people. And it was recorded in Exodus chapter 34, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and you can look at the reference there. And it was so bad that the sin of mixed marriages was so prevalent that it begins from the spiritual leaders all the way to the people. And the marriages also happen intergenerationally. It happens to the fathers and to the sons. Verse 2 says, For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons. So it happens intergenerationally. You know what caused the returnees to come to such a dire state of their spiritual life? I think, first of all, when there is a widespread acceptance, it becomes the new normal. When everybody is doing it, when everybody is okay with it, then there is very little deterrence and people just keep doing it. Secondly, like leader, like people, when the leaders are doing it and it gives excuses to the people to justify their actions and it is hard to rebuild them, it is hard to deter them because, hey, the leaders are doing it. That's really bad. The line of authority is blurred. The standard is compromised. The expectation is lowered and the accountability is destroyed. And thirdly, like father, like son. When the fathers are doing it and doing it for the sons, the whole family foundation is eroded. And when the family foundation is eroded, a community will slowly disintegrate. And fourthly, let me point out the key issue. All this are just tip of the iceberg. But what is the key issue? The key issue is the holy race is mixed. The concern is that when the Israelites take up the daughters of the land of Canaan and begin to marry them, there, there is no distinction from the Canaanites who worship idols because they are affected, they compromise, and they embrace that in them. You know what is that called? That is called syncretism. It means compromise. By adding on others' lifestyle, others' faith into your own practice. Now, let me remind you, this is not a teaching against interracial marriage. Interracial marriage happened in many of the leadership of the Israelites. But this is about marriage outside of faith. But you know what? The root of all this is faithlessness. It reminds us in verse 2 that and in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men have been foremost. Mixed marriage, bonding together with the local people, compromising their faith, the root foundation is faithlessness. They do not have faith in God. They forsake the covenant of God. They trust, uh, the trust in the local connection and local 
uh, religious practices and local culture, hoping that it will help them to establish a new life to gain favor instead of trusting the Lord who brought them back faithfully to the land of Jerusalem. They have forsaken their faith. They have forsaken God. That is the root of all this. And you remember King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, that he set a bad precedence with, the, with dire consequences by marrying many, many of these wives and concubines who brought their faith, who brought their religious practices, idol worship, into the life of Solomon. And in his second half of his life, he compromised. See, in a marriage, it's more than the union of a man and a woman. It is the bonding of two families, of two systems together, of two values and two practices and traditions and faith. And to make it work, compromise and acceptance is expected. You have to. Otherwise, the marriage may not hold. And that's what happened to the Israelites. That's their sin. But secondly, let's look at Ezra's response. Ezra's grieves as you look at what happened. Verses 3 to 5. It says, As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and set apparel. Then all who trembled at the words of the Lord, of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I set apparel until the evening sacrifice, which is about 3 p.m. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. You can see the response of Ezra to what happened to the sins of the returnees. He was disappointed beyond words. There was a show of deep grieving. A, a demonstration of humility. And those who honor God's word, they gather around Ezra because they know Ezra has been teaching God's word faithfully. They know that this is a group of people who have a high view of the scriptures. They know that when we disobey God over and over and over and over again, and when God's grace is extended to us over and over and over again, there is a limit. There are consequences. Because as we have a covenant relationship with God, God not only spells out the blessings, but He also spells out the consequences if we disobey. In chapter 8, remember, we talk about how He led the returnees still in Persia while preparing themselves to come back. He called them to fast and prayer. And that was a corporate prayer. They all prayed together by the river Ahava. But now it is an individual prayer, Ezra's personal prayer on behalf of the people of God. And Ezra's posture of prayer was that of a deep, grieving prayer warrior. He knelt down. He lifted his hands to the Lord. You know what brought Ezra to such a dramatic response? Because he cares deeply for the returnees. So his appearance was sloppy, his emotional was somewhat broken and spiritually lamenting, and mentally, I believe, he was still shocked by the reality of the spiritual life of the people. Today, may I ask you, as you listen to this sermon, in your living room, 
whether as a family, as a couple, or as an individual. Ask, I'm going to ask you this question. What do you grieve over lately? See, what you grieve over is a good indication of what you care about. What do you grieve over lately? May what grieves God's heart also grieve our hearts. You know what grieves God's heart? Unrepentant, stubbornness spirit. Disobeying God's word and God's will. Living in habitual sins. Engaging in idol worship. Arrogance. Causing disunity. Or staying in a lukewarm state of your spiritual life or losing our first love for God. Those are the things and many, many other things that grieves the heart of God. What are you grieving over lately? Secondly, I want to share with you that as Ezra prays for the people, his focus was on the sustaining power of the grace of God. Yes, in the midst of sins and yet in the midst of of uh, idol worship and mixed marriages, they were sustained by the grace of God as he traced the history of how God led them back to Jerusalem. It was a long prayer, but I felt that the focus is really on the grace of God. And first of all, God's grace in that exile. He traced the history of the exile and shared with them. Verses 6 to 9. Verse 6 says, saying, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt for our iniquities. We, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and in Jerusalem. You know, in the midst of exile, God's grace abound. That's the message of Ezra as he prayed before God and pleading before God to to the magnitude of the sins and rebellions that those returnees have demonstrated, have lived uh, as they returned to Jerusalem after 60 years. That's how bad it was. You know, verse 6, as he mentioned, that I would even not dare to look up to you, God. I feel ashamed. I feel blushed to lift up my eyes. It reminds me of Luke chapter 18, when the tax collectors and the Pharisees came to uh, the, the temple to pray. And the, text, the, the Pharisees, of course, in his self-righteous arrogance, you know, he looked to the heavens and said, what I have done and I have fasted and I have given alms to people and I have following you, I obey your word. That's how good I am. While the text collectors, knowing his guilt, knowing his sin, 
he bowed his head before God. He beat on his chest and asked God for mercies because he knows that he is a sinner. That reminds me of Ezra coming before God, praying on behalf of the people, identifying specific sins before God, knowing that they don't deserve to even raise their eyes before God because they are in shame and they blush. And the way he described the sins is our guilt are mounting up to the heavens. They are rising higher than our heads. The way he described it, the sins are like rain falling down and causing flood water to rise, reaching to heaven. That's how bad, that's how long, that's how accumulated it has been over all these years for what they have done before God. But with all these things, you know what? Ezra identified with the people, even though he was not engaged in mixed marriages, even though he was not a part of the sinful rebellion against God in Jerusalem. But as a leader, as a spiritual leader, he identified himself with the people by saying, I, you know, we have sinned before you. See, you reap what you sow. That's what happened. In verse 7, he reminds them, that from the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt, and therefore we were taken into exile and given into the hands of the kings of the land to the swords of the captivity to plundering and to utter shame as it is today. He was tracing the history of the exiles, of the Babylonian exiles, the three exiles that the king of Babylonia has come to take them away. For this whole history of about 150 years in exile, and he was like, we are still in exile today. And yet, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant. God has preserved us as a remnant. And he has also given us a secured hold within this holy place. And, and it is like a pack driving into the soil to support the tent with a rope. You know, we have driven into the ground we have established a foothold by the grace of God. We have returned to Jerusalem. We have built a second temple. And with that, we can grow, we can expand. That's the whole idea. That our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery while we are still in slavery. He will revive us. We have taken the first step by the grace of God. For we are slaves, he said. We are still slaves. Now we are slaves to the Persian Empire. And yet, our God has not forsaken us into slavery. And what? He extended to us His steadfast love before the king of Persia to grant us reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair the ruins, to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. Don't ruin it. That's the whole idea. The grace of God is extended in exile. Don't ruin it. We have the first step. We have the first foothold. Don't let it slip. Don't let it go to waste. God's grace is so evident in the midst of the exile. God's grace is so abundant. Don't waste the goodness of God. Secondly, God's grace in the disobedience. Verses 10 to 15. He says, And now, O oh my God, O oh our God, what shall we say after this? 
For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the goods of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consume us so that they should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. God's grace abounds in their disobedience. You know, verses 10 and 12, he summarizes the prophet's teaching that, that they should not intermarried with the Canaanites who will dilute their faith, who will affect their commitment to God. And, and he was the, the prophetic teaching against syncretism. They should not be any compromise. And yet they have compromised. And yet in the midst of this, God's grace abound. Had you heard that in verse 13? He says, seeing that our God have punished us less than our iniquities deserved. You know what is that called? That is called grace. He gave us less than what our iniquities deserve. And that is the extension, extension of God's grace toward us in the midst of rebellions against Him. God's grace truly abounds, even in their disobedience and in their exile. And verse 14 reminds them, do not repeat the history. Learn the lesson from history. Shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the people who practice these abominations? Don't do it. Don't fall into it. Get out from there. Would you not be angry with us until you consume us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? This is a warning to the people of Israel, to in Jerusalem. Remember the consequences. There is a limit of God's mercy. He warned you over and over and over again. You step over the boundaries over and over and over again. Then enough is enough. Judgment will come to you. And remember when we were in exile, that was what happened in our history as a nation. And that's what Ezra reminds our people in that sense. And verse 15 basically ends up with just three words. We are guilty. He says, O oh Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. You have done nothing wrong. You have bring judgment to us. You have brought judgment to us in exile, in our disobedience. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. And in your, in your justice, Lord, your mercy abounds and you preserve us as remnant so that we can escape 
the judgment as it is today. That's why we are here. We are back in Jerusalem. That's why we can see the second temple before our eyes. And that's why we can practice all the sacrifices and go through all the worships. And behold, he says, we are before you in our guilt for none can stand before you because of this. And yet despite God's grace and despite God's mercy, he says, I know that our sin are before you. We are guilty. And that's the conclusion of Ezra's prayer. In the next chapter, he will ask people for repentance and confession. But right now, he was basically reminding them how bad the situation is. You know, as I, rem- as I teach about and, te- and, and expound on the grace of God in the midst of exile, in the midst of their disobedience, I can't help but remember a song written by Roger Strader called, Why Have You Chosen Me? You know, God's grace abounds so much that I felt this song, uh, the lyrics of this song just speak so powerfully. The song says, Why have you chosen me out of millions, your child to be? You have all, you know all the wrong that I have done. How could you pardon me, forgive my iniquity to save me and give Jesus a son? In the second stanza, he says, I'm amazed to know that a God so great could love me so. He's willing and wanting to bless a sinner such as I. His grace is so wonderful. His mercy is so bountiful. I have to confess, I can't understand it. God's grace is beyond our comprehension. So how do you respond to such a grace? The songwriter says in the chorus, But Lord, help me be what you want me to be. Your word I will strive to obey. My life I now give. For you I will live and walk by your sight all the way. And that's how we respond to God's grace. Even in the midst of rebellion, and even in the midst of exile, in the midst of COVID-19, God's grace abounds. And that's how we respond to Him, to live for Christ. So today I want to share with you my, my focus on the message is a faithful God extends His grace to a faithful people to restore them to be faithful worshippers of God. God's grace extends to faithless people so that they can be restored into faithful worship of God. That's the grace of God. You know, the second temple is built. If the mixed marriages continues in the lives of the Israelites in Jerusalem, the temple will be an empty temple with no worshipers. Their religious life, their faith will be broken. So God is calling them back to be a faithful worshiper of God. And I believe God is calling us back today as well to be faithful worshipers of God. I want to share with you three applications today. First of all, God is sustaining. God is still sustaining us in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. Today, I feel that we are sustained by God's faithfulness. We are sustained by God's sovereignty. We are sustained by God's provision, His protection, and His grace, and His love. He continues to sustain us with His presence, with His word. You know, we don't often pray a prayer such as this, a deep lamenting, a deep grieving. If Ezra were to pray for our church today, can you imagine how would he pray? Look at each other if you are worshiping together in a group. Look at each other. 
How would he pray? What do you think? If he prayed for FCBC Walnut, our church today, would he pray the same way as he prayed for the returnees who were engaged in mixed marriages? Or he will praise God and thank God for the perseverance, for the faithfulness of FCBC Walnut in the midst of COVID-19 to continue to walk with him and build a vibrant church of disciple makers? How would he pray for us? Sometimes I wonder as I prepare this message. How would Ezra pray for you personally? Yes, you personally. Think about that. Now, you don't need to look at each other now. Just reflect on yourself. If Ezra were invited to pray for you today, you know how honest he prayed and how bluntly he prayed? How would he pray for you? Would there be thanksgiving? Would there be grace of God? Would there be praises? Would there be concerns? Would there be petition? Would there be confession before God? How would he pray? I think if you think like that, if you think in that way, maybe it gives you a sense of where I am with Jesus today, where I am with God today, where I am as I go through this COVID-19, as I continue the journey with God. Where is my spiritual state today? We have been tested for five months. We've been tested during this COVID-19 for five months. We are scattered. We don't see each other. We see each other online, but not in person. Um, How are we in our faithfulness to God? How are we in our walk with Jesus? Is the vision of our church still clear in our mind to be a vibrant church of disciple makers? Is our commitment to Christ and the gospel still strong? Are we caring for one another? Have we passed the test? God is sustaining us in the COVID-19 pandemic. Secondly, I'm going to share with you what grieves you. What grieves you today? I asked that question during my sharing, but I want to ask you again, what grieves you lately? Because what grieves you is a good indication of what you cared about. You know, we often pray and confess sins for others. And we did. We, we confess our sins of our nation. Our nation is departing further and further away from God. Right? We confess uh, the, the secular culture who is less and less spiritual and more and more materialistic and consumeristic. You know, we confess the lukewarmness state of the church and say, Lord, we need to be revived. We need passion for Jesus. We, we, we confess for the backsliders and lament the fact that they have forsaken God's salvation and God's faithfulness and, and God's grace and they are black started, they need to come back. Uh, we lament for, for those who are teaching heresies are concerned about the purity of the doctrine. We, we confess for many, many people and many, many things except ourselves. And we tend not to be specific, specific when we confess for ourselves. Maybe today, as we come together, I want to truly challenge you to think about confessing for ourselves, not confessing on behalf of other people. You know, we truly need confession nowadays because confession is disappearing from public worship. Look at the program. Look at a typical worship today. The elements of confession, confession is missing 
in most worship service, including our worship service. We don't always do it frequent enough to confess our sins before God. What is confession, brothers and sisters? Confession is a spiritual sorry before God. It's a spiritual apologies before God. And like apologies, most of us waited too long to offer. And we need to confess before God in the midst of COVID-19 and ask God to strengthen us. And confession is to admit my inadequacy, is to admit my lacking, that I am falling short of the glory of God. It is a cry for help. God, lift me up as I walk with you. What grieves you? And finally, I want you to ponder on, can you see the grace of God around you? Just as Ezra prayed for the Israelites and reminded them that in exile, God's grace abound. In your disobedience, God's grace abound. Don't waste the grace of God. Don't abuse the grace of God. Can you see the grace of God around you? Even in COVID-19, even in the midst of a crisis, do you remember that God sustains the universe even today? He holds the whole universe together? Do you remember that he instituted family relationships so that we have people around us to support us or friendship to support us? Do you remember that he created beauty to soothe our stressful and worrisome soul? Beauty abounds. Beauty is still around us. Do you remember that he provides our daily sustenance even today? All the resources to sustain life is provided by God and he never pulled it back. He did not withhold any basic necessity of life. And his words, for those who are believers, his words continues to guide us. His presence comforts us and his church bonds us together to make us stronger as a community of faith. Do you see the grace of God around you as you expose yourself to social media, to news, and oftentimes that stress you out and that worries you more than anything else? But look at the grace of God around you and praise God and give thanks to God. And that's how we should respond to this message today. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to uh, come before you and ask you to open our eyes that we can see grace in the midst of a crisis and teach us to walk with you because you are so gracious, you're so loving, your steadfast love continues to extend to us, even in the midst of COVID-19 crisis. Thank you, God. Teach us to know how to walk with you strongly and continue to revive our hearts so that we can be worshipers of God. As you bring us back together to worship outdoor, Lord, we pray that this first step will be the many, many steps to come that will bring us back to the normalcy of our church life one by one. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May I invite you to stand from a respective home and receive the blessings of God. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you and have a great week.